Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the Wizards of Drivel podcast. Much like Jordan Shakiri, Chris's unexplained absence continues and despite a full-blooded performance in Manchester, Mame Biram Cartwright finds himself inexplicably benched for the next podcast. But in their place, we welcome back Tom Thrower. You right, Tom? Yeah, not too bad. And joining us from across the pond, it's a return for Zach. How are you doing? What's up, guys? Pretty good. Good stuff. So, Stoke City 1, Chelsea 2. Late heartbreak for the Potters as the Blues continue their march towards the title. Before we talk about this game, here's the presenter of Chelsea Fancast at Stamford Chidge with his view on yesterday. I'm Stamford Chidge and I produce and present the Chelsea Fancast, which is a weekly podcast on Chelsea. Now that was a massive, massive win for Chelsea against Stoke on Saturday. And judging by the manager and the players' reaction at the final whistle, they knew that they'd just taken a big step towards winning the Premier League title this season. In many respects, it reminds me of the gutsy away win against Blackburn in the 2004-05 season. And that was the moment the side, I think, truly believed they had what it takes on all fronts to win the title. Of course, that Blackburn side was managed by Stoke's current manager, Mark Hughes, and it's no coincidence that he employed the same tactics against Chelsea this time, i.e. to try and intimidate a bunch of what he might perceive as fancy-down foreigners, kick them out of the game, fouling by rota, winding them up so they spit their dummies out. To be fair, it nearly worked, as Costa looked like a walking red card for the first 30 minutes. Now, I've got no problem with using these tactics, because I think you have to do whatever you can to win, and that was always going to be Stoke's best chance. Uh, It's up to Chelsea to man up, front up, not be intimidated physically, and trust in their quality and not get drawn in by Stoke's tactics. Chelsea were perhaps a bit lucky with Berahino being penalised for a push on Aspilicueta, leading to their goal being disallowed. But similarly, Gary Cahill was unlucky to concede a soft penalty for pushing Walters, ref Anthony Taylor seemingly evening things up. But when all is said and done, Stoke can really have no complaints with the result, their only shot on target being the resultant penalty. Chelsea, on the other hand, hit the post twice and could well have been more clinical with their seven shots on target, leading to a greater margin of victory than the 2-1 that they got. Bottom line is that Chelsea proved that they can do it on a cold, wet afternoon in Stoke. And the fat lady is beginning to warm up her vocal cords before she sings in Chelsea's fifth Premier League title. One final thing. Whilst I bet Eden Hazard was glad he missed this game, the Chelsea away support will be very glad that they were there to see perhaps a season-defining moment where they, the manager and the players were together as one. The way our end fell with limbs all over the place spoke volumes, as did their very vocal support throughout. Supporters have a canny sense and know when to step up to the plate. It looks like the Chelsea manager and the players got the message loud and clear. So, Tom, we'll start with you. Uh... How how did you rate our performance in defeat yesterday? Um, I don't think we, we didn't embarrass ourselves or anything like that, and it was a great improvement on the um, on the on the spankings that we've had this season. But I can't say I necessarily agree with everyone who was saying that it, it was a harsh result because mm. I think Chelsea probably deserved to win, but then Stoke on their performance probably didn't deserve to lose, so it was a weird one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Zach, you were at the game at Stamford Bridge earlier in the season. Have you uh, noticed a marked improvement since we shipped four goals there? Um, maybe. I think that uh, losing 4-2 in that game was maybe kind of like a harsh result for, for how well the team played there. Um, I don't know if the performance was, was better today or yesterday, I guess. Um, I think I think a draw would have been fair, but I also understand the the loss is probably reasonable as well. 
I mean, you don't, you can't really expect to beat Chelsea. I mean, nobody can really expect to beat Chelsea right now. Um, mm. But we didn't lose 4 nothing like we do to most sides like them. So I guess that's a positive. Yeah. Um, so some three-word responses. Uh, Harry Kern says, very bad goals. Michael Forbes says, oh no, Eric. Chirag, workmanlike without wizardry. Harry Adderley says, Diego Costa, cheat. Cheaters in capitals there. Jamie Chatfield says, new fullbacks needed. Dom says, Dom says mistakes cost us. Jay Wakefield says, two daft mistakes. Uh, Mark Han says, better than us. And Jack Hollingsworth with, Hughes out, please. Uh, Tom, you are uh, famously... Mark Hughes' biggest defender. Um, <laughs> what, what, what do you make of that last one? Um, I, I, I sort of earlier in the week pledged to try and be nicer to Mark Hughes because I sort of felt like I was just screaming into an empty void of nothingness and no one was listening to me. Um, but how long has that lasted? <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's lasted till this morning when I looked at, at some stats about things and I got angry again. Um, <laughs> no, that performance isn't a isn't a huge out performance, but everything else surrounding it, yeah, I'd quite like a different manager in the summer still. Glenn Watkin on Twitter is asking: Should Stoke have gone for the win yesterday? Think we seemed happy with a point. Zach, how did you? Did you think our approach to the game was a correct one? Um, maybe. I mean, you know, I always want to see Stoke go for the win, but that's never, ever going to happen, especially in a match like this. I think when you get, we you know, when you're when you're tying Chelsea, you're probably going to try and uh, get the point if you can. Um, I think we probably all would have considered, uh, we would have been probably pretty excited about a draw in the end. Um, I don't know. I mean, there were a couple, like, really late substitutions would have been nice to see Afalai at some point, or, I mean, Mbula, if he still exists, besides yeah. that he's just, like, suffering Who? in the concourse. I don't think I've heard of him. God, that just depresses me so much. We can... We're going to have to talk about that. Um, I, I don't know. I feel there's been a lot of talk recently about, like, going back to, to three at the back, and, you know, I don't play a football manager, so I don't presume to <laughs> be a, a tactical genius like some of you guys, but... Um, I think the four four two has has been interesting these last couple games. It'd be good to see it tried out against a team that we actually have a chance of beating, mm. um, you know, because we've only seen it now against both City and Chelsea, and we have well, we have Leicester after the break. Yeah, right. So it'd be, it'd be good to see that. Even though I assume that we'll go up two nil and then concede two late goals, because that's just what happens when we play Leicester. Tom, we we've gone the two up front the last couple of games and. Uh, like Zach says, they've been against Man City and Chelsea, and it'll be interesting to see how we uh, how we utilize it against lesser opposition. What do you make of the, those two as a as a forward partnership then? Because uh, obviously Walter scored yesterday, but we they don't seem to be the the most threatening. No, we uh, it seems weird. We've gone to put two strikers up there, but behind them there doesn't seem to be enough creativity or anything like that. Because, I mean, Sobi and Arnautovic are, are both great wingers and both know how to attack their full-backs and make things happen, but they aren't like a, a playmaker, which you sort of need with two up front, especially when it's Walters and Berahino, who I can't really see either of them, dropping deep, pulling into midfield and, and moving the defence about. So it's strange. My personal front two would be um, Bonnie and Berahino, who I think would work quite well, but I think there's more chance of me lining up front against Leicester than there is of Wilfred Bonny. Yeah, um, add Bonny to the list of players who just seem to be disappearing at Stoke at the moment. I'd, I'd, I don't know if uh, it's a 
going to be a police matter soon, but uh, Bonnie's disappeared. Uh, at least, at least we know Bonnie's been talking to the press recently. Um, Jordan Shakiri's uh, absence continues. We heard he was going to be fit for this game, and I don't know what happened. I don't don't know if you had heard anything in the build up, but yeah, he wasn't even on the bench, and neither was Imbula. So you get the sense with Imbula in particular that he's going to be out the door, which I think is a real shame. Yes, the the two two games straight now that the the day before in the press conference we've been told that Shakiri was fully fit and then yeah. he just wasn't on the team at all. I think Bowen was saying um, it, it was a really weird pre match interview he gave. He talked about how he's been feeling pain and that the, the Stoke team were worried, but Shakiri wanted to play and that for some reason they want him to go and play for Switzerland so that he's fully fit for the rest of the season. Which just seems bizarre to me. That um, doesn't make a ton of sense. No, yeah, exactly. He's feeling pain and Bula's suffering. <laughs> They're all just missing Bojan. On the goals then, the goals we conceded, uh, two nightmares, wasn't it? Um, the first one, Lee Grant just didn't read the flight of the ball. There's been a bit of debate on Twitter about Lee Grant. Like, is he actually that good? Have, have we been overhyping him, do you reckon? I don't know about that. I think he's a really great shot stopper. I mean... Even in this game, he made a couple fantastic stops. That one on Alonso, there was one on, I think it was Costa or Pedro at one point. Um, I mean, his distribution's not great. I don't know. I, I think we've been rating him about about fair. I mean, I, I don't know. That was a pretty shocking mistake yesterday. Like, you know William's going to gonna go for goal with that. He was like mm. the one good thing about Chelsea last year, and he was just bending free kicks top corner from ludicrous angles you always have to be prepared for that and it just didn't he looked like he caught he caught grant sleeping on that he got both hands on it but i don't know i mean every, all, all keepers make mistakes i think i think when jack is fit he'll come right back into the team but until then i don't think we could have done much better than than how grant's done this year yeah i, I think he's a weird one because he's probably good enough to have played in the premier league before he was with us and for some reason he didn't but he's certainly not anywhere near Jack's level. Uh, as much as he's done a great job for us, Jack Bullen should just walk straight back into that team. And I think Grant was to blame for the second goal as well a little bit because you can understand Eric mm. Peters there. He, he's flustered and worrying and just wants to get the ball away. And I can't imagine that situation happening with Butland. I think he has better control of his area and wouldn't have let Eric Peters get anywhere near that ball. I think that's a, a tad harsh. I think the the ultimate fault lies with Peters there, doesn't it, for not uh, just booting it out of play, which was kind of the smart thing to do, or at least if when he did play it back to Grant, at least play a normal pass because that was that was neither one thing nor the other. I thought it kind of put Grant in an awkward position, and also from the resultant corner, the complete non-clearance that uh, set Cahill up, I thought was. I mean, we can just we can um, just call it an assist. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of Eric Peters and assists, we did have a question uh, on Twitter which asked, um, "How long until an Eric Peters cross seriously injures a spectator?" <clears throat> God, guys, it's so bad. It's like every His every crossing is so bad. <laughs> every other week, we seem to be talking about Eric Peters and crossing. Like there was one stage yesterday where we got a rare attack forward and. He just completely blitzed it over the over the box. I mean, R- Ramadan had it on the edge of the box and had some nice little moves and kicked it off to Peters, who, to, yeah, crossed it like 
over the back of the net. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, no, I think it would actually require Peters to be able to kick the ball a bit harder for it to injure a fan. Normally, his crosses just loop and oh. yeah. <laughs> it was nice to be linked with Luke Shaw this morning. That's Ooh, I don't even uh, want to get excited it, about well, that. Well, I, th- I think the Daily Star linked us though. So you know it's it? legit. So I'm not getting <laughs> yeah. I'm not getting too too carried away with that. Uh, I've just got a note here which says Bruno equals God? Question mark. I mean, it's it's it's. It's yeah, that's 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 one hundred percent factual. He is just so. Yeah, I don't want. I don't want to make assumptions about anybody's religion, but I'm pretty sure that he's God. He's so good for me and most of the people I've spoken to. Just by far the man of the match yesterday, from our point of view. Uh, he's just so calm. I've, I've found. I thought think that was his main attribute. He just kind of uh, didn't take any shit. He just. Uh, put his foot on the ball when he when he needed to he he stood up to Costa really well oh, I love that every every time every time we play Chelsea one of our center backs just like has to mess with Costa and I love Costa like I love a villain I think I think he's fantastic he's chippy everyone hates him the league needs a villain I don't you know it's it's fun to piss him off when we're playing him but you know, I don't. I don't think he deserves all the sticky gets. I think anybody would be psyched to have to have Costa on their team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it was a just a great battle to watch. That the Shawcross and Costa sort of, it, it was handbag stuff really. But like the way they just kind of walk into each other when the ball went out of play or something, it was like mm. a, a proper like subplot within the game because uh, didn't Costa say he smelled last year? <laughs> there was there was one point uh, when like the ball went out of play and Costa was on the ground with. Shawcross's leg just trapped between his legs and he just wouldn't let him go and they were just holding eye contact for like far too long and I just like kept waiting for the Curb Your Enthusiasm music to start playing (laughs) it was really excellent the Chelsea fancast said that we kicked them a bit yesterday Uh, did you did you agree with that Tom do you do you reckon we kind of roughed them up a bit too much um I I think obviously there was some kind of plan to try and get under Costa's skin but I think it was just Phil Bardsley who decided after we had that goal disallowed that he was going to go into full rage mode and just try and hurt everyone in within a vis- within his vicinity. I mean, you yeah, play Bardsley Phil Bardsley, was... someone's going to get kicked. <laughs> He's got a, a red card now, and with Johnson injured, are we looking at Mame Juf at right back? Yes, because it's his best position. I, I think so, probably. I think we're probably looking at Juf. Maybe we can bring Johnny Tex back on loan. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Now we're dreaming. <laughs> no, I don't want. I don't want to get Jace all excited. Uh, question from Jack Hollingsworth on Twitter: Am I an idiot for still wanting cues <clears throat> out? Uh, Zach. Oh man, this feels like it should maybe be a thrower question. Uh, maybe I don't know. I think I think I still wouldn't be too upset to have him leave at the end of the season. I'm not like foaming at the mouth like I maybe was after the the Spurs loss a couple weeks ago, but. I mean, you know, the last few weeks have been more promising, but there's still, I think, a lot of, like, fundamental problems with the way he's both built the squad and managed the squad. Um, I think Mbula's continued absence is really troubling for a lot of reasons. I mean, if we're going to sell him this summer, it's going to have to be at a loss, right? Because he has barely played. No one, no one's going to pay what we paid for him, and I still think he has so much quality, and you know, has the, definitely has the talent to be kind of like a game-breaking player. Um, I mean, there's, yeah, there's a lot of larger overarching problems that I think are an issue, including some of the striker stuff that we were talking about a little bit earlier. 
Tom, in term in terms of uh, what we can achieve this season, we, we were talking last episode with Joe about uh, what our ambitions ambitions are, and we said like eighth has to be the target for us. But obviously, West Brom beat Arsenal yesterday, and, and we we lost, so the gap is now what is it? Eight points? I think it's seven. I think yeah, seven, seven or eight. Se- seven points. Um, so do you do you think we can realistically? Uh, overtake them or are we settling for ninth once again uh no i, I think we, we we have to look behind us as well with southampton, southampton who yeah. have just lost just lost to spurs but i mean they were awful in the first half but sort of rallied a bit for the second and i i think it will now actually rather than be a pushing for eighth it'll be a fighting to stay ninth situation uh i've got a clip from SCFC Jace talking about strikers that I'm going to play in a minute but I'm first going to introduce a brand new feature uh, it's just to make us more friends on the Oatcake message board because I feel like we need some um, it, this is called uh, it's the first of what is hopefully a long running feature Oatcake Thread of the Week and uh, this Oatcake Thread of the Week is entitled I saw Carlo Nash in TK Maxx in Cheadle yesterday <laughs> it's, it's from the Oatcake user Lost in Translation he says I said, hi, Carlo. And he said, hi, mate. <laughs> then we went our separate ways. Me to the men's section, him to shoes and luggage. Eight likes that I got. It, it, it's a fascinating thread that descends into sort of menswear chat, like where you buy your clothes from, TK Mac versus Primark. <laughs> um, uh, Shake Momo here says, uh, I, brought a pair, I bought a pair of brown shoes from TK Max a couple of weeks back. I had no interaction with anyone, but the tip <laughs> said... <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> but the shoe but but the shoes are working out well and are appropriate for both work and socializing. So yeah, just great stuff. Get get on the oat kick now for, for more. All, of I, that. all I know is I've been in a Primark once and I walked in and there were just these mannequins, these female mannequins that had just had their clothes like pulled off. Not all the way, but like just enough that <laughs> It was you had to like look at it twice to realize like how inappropriate it was, and it was like right in the center display, and it's like one of the hardest <laughs> I've ever laughed in my life. I will post the picture on Twitter. I just like turned the corner, and they were like posing all like nonchalantly, but just with their butts out. It was just a delight. Just a great introduction to English culture for me. I don't really know how to respond to that. But um, speaking of mannequins, uh, Sido Berahino has uh, come in for some. <laughs> criticism uh, after his display yesterday uh, here is FCSC Jace talking about uh, Sido's future and uh, the striking situation in general I was quite happy when he finally arrived and overall I think fans are sort of doing well to be patient with him for a few reasons I think they've seen plenty of forwards struggle here in the last four or so years maybe even longer they kind of want to rub it in West Brom's faces that this deal and this move is going to work out and ultimately I think they're terrified of the prospect of another striker situation if this deal fails basically. In terms of Berahino, I think he's doing all the right things to endear himself to the fans so far. He's been quite positive in his interviews, sort of happy to be here, he's smiling and he's putting a shift in off the ball during games. But if we're meant to be his happy ending after the West Brom nightmare then I do sort of worry he's come to the wrong place. So having a quick look at how he's done so far, he's managed 240 minutes played. He's sort of averaging a pass every 10 minutes and a shot every 80 minutes. 
And I must admit, I'm worried that he's just been another body thrown into the striker situation with very little or no effort being made to actually get him into the game and get the best out of him. And the entire situation is becoming a bit of a joke, to be honest. Our front five this season have scored nine goals, seven of which have come from the other dependable Crouch and Walters, and the other two from Bonnie. So we've got Mamadouf, who's been at wing-back, wing and impact sub, whilst Hosselu, who I didn't even mention, is out on loan after one season. And Julian Ngoy, back in the under-23s now that Berahino has arrived despite making more impact on the games than Sado thus far. So this nine-goal tally from five strikers is actually the jack- the joint second worst in the league for strikers, whilst the only team worse are Hull, with eight goals from three strikers. You have to sort of ask, is it the system, or is it the recruitment, or is it a bit of both? Do we not know what we're buying, and then growing frustrated that they aren't working as such? We've probably had every type of striker over the last four years. Technical target man, mobile target man, strong hold-up striker, pacey striker hybrid of technical and aerial ability, and now God knows what Barahino is. Yet none of them have appeared to work. I think that after many attempts you'd be entitled to ask if it's the system or systems that are at fault. I saw a comment online after the games yesterday that Hughes is being bemoaned for buying another dud in Barahino. Shouldn't alarm bells be ringing that this is his sixth first team striker in four or so years? of which none have been a success beyond one season. Shouldn't it be a concern that we're reliant on Crouch and Walters to bag the goals by hook or crook in 2017? For Sado, I guess the real test will come in those quote-unquote winnable games coming up, although the first real one of those is about a month away at home to Hull. I can't see us really walking over Leicester away from home, whilst Burnley at their place is going to be about as difficult as Liverpool. So Hull's really the first main chance that Sado's got to stake a claim. Plenty of people have already said, wait until next season for Varahino, but given that none of Hughes' strikers have had a good second season, or have indeed been around for it at all, I think we may need to accept that he won't be the saviour that people had hoped for until there's a serious change in approach on the pitch. Tom, you've been looking into uh, strikers and Mark Hughes. Uh, what, what do you think about not only our striking situation, but Hughes' abilities to buy strikers. Yeah, I uh, I did a bit of research and I've put on Twitter, if you want to go and look on my at Sussex Stokey, uh, and done sort of all the strikers that Hughes has ever signed. And he talks about this 20-goal-a-season striker who he dreams of and wants to sign. You have to go back to 2007 when he signed Roque Santa Cruz for Blackburn. Uh, for the last time anyone scored 20 goals. And the last person to score, like between then and now, only one person scored more than 10, and that's Mam Juve. So I'm not quite sure why we keep letting Mark Hughes sign people. Right. Work right. Well. That appears to be part of his job, though, which is concerning. <laughs> There's a um, problem. So so the only player to have scored more than 10 goals since Roque Santa Cruz for Mark Hughes is now our right-back. Yes. <laughs> right. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Um uh, and and the the other one to have scored like more than 5 is on loan at Mainz. So, yeah. Ah. Uh yeah. Um that's your fault, isn't it, Zach? Yep. <laughs> I don't I don't know. You know what? I don't even want to dignify that with a response. This is my least favorite <laughs> running joke that I was somehow responsible for getting him sent on loan. I will not I will not tolerate that that kind of discussion. He's, he's my he's my sweet <laughs> prince, and I miss him every day. Is it is it fake news? No, it's well, it's definitely fake news <laughs> that I made it happen. It's the news is all too real that he's just wallowing away at the bottom of the Bundesliga right now. All too real. Okay, um, 
So, Tom, uh, that's obviously a bit concerning to, on the face of it, the lack of goal scorer. But you could argue that, like these days, not many teams have the, the, a guy who'll score many goals a season. Like certainly in Stoke history, we've not really had a, a consistent goal scorer. What what is it about the way Mark Hughes sets his teams up that that means we don't have that? Because he plays one up front, so you you th- you'd think that. You know, we we have a focal point, and that focal point should be able to score more than they have. I don't know. To me, it just has always seemed that we've very rarely had a plan of how to score goals. Yeah, okay, we might have like people playing in certain positions, but there never seems to be like um, anything deeper than right. You play here, and you play there, and and you pass to him. It, it's no, there's no there's no depth in his tactics mm. so I think that's where it all comes from it feels like he's, uh, he's really great at signing like individual players um, who on their own merits look you know like they'll be really great for us but then you just like don't see them playing together that well um, I mean all you know all these players on paper have been you know pretty big signings that he's brought in the last couple of years but the exception of like Arnie Shack and you know Boyan for a while there I mean, it feels like the the connection between them just hasn't really flourished in the way that we'd really hope that it would. And yeah, even when he signs think, players um, who who do perform well, like I I didn't think like Hossley was bad last season. He scored a lot of big goals, some really skillful goals. He never looked negative when he was on. He created a couple. I thought he was I thought he was a great player, and I was really excited to see him play more this year. But it it seems that Mark Hughes is losing faith in a lot of players a lot of the time. I mean, we saw this happen with Hosselu. Hosselu, I thought, was an odd signing because his scoring record wasn't that great and nobody really expected him to be in the first team. But once he did get in the first team, he played OK. He, he, yeah, like you said, he scored a few goals. But then he then he disappeared. Uh, Bojan, uh, you can debate about how well he's played after coming back from injury and all that, but he, Bojan has a few subpar games this season, then gets sent out on loan. And Bueller, as we said, just completely gone. It seems that he loses faith totally in these guys, and yet um, guys like Charlie Adam, uh, Crouch, Walters, as good as they have been for Stoke, they can survive a bad run of form and still come back in a few weeks' time. Yeah, but even someone like Crouch has sort of went a period of 18 months not playing in the side and probably only didn't leave because no one pushed that hard to try and get him. It seems bizarre how quickly he loses faith in the people that he signed. I mean, we haven't seen Imbula and Allen play together for anything other than 45 minutes against Leicester, where we, oh, surprise, surprise, dominated them. But he he's spent like £30 million on them too, and they haven't played together. It makes no sense. Mm. Yeah, I think I read um, somewhere that he signed... I mean, I, I could scroll back in my timeline and figure it out, but I think he signed something like... 26 players on permanent deals in his time here and of those three or four of them are in like our, our best starting 11 we, we, we had a spine of uh, Tony Pulis players running up the team and in his fourth season is is that still what you want to be relying on I mean we've relied on Peter Crouch's goals this season uh, which kind of sums up the whole uh, striking situation that Jace was talking about on that then, uh, Tom, do you think two up front could be the way to go? Yeah, I think it, it, it's 
something that's different to what everyone else is trying and we don't seem to be very good at what everyone else is trying but <laughs> or even what we're trying create... usually <laughs> <laughs> but i'm just really worried that it's just another another section on mark hughes's giant spin board of tactics that he mm. occasionally picks because I mean, look, we've probably played four three three, four two three one, three four three, and all of them at periods have worked, and at other times they haven't because we're a mid-table football team. I don't know what people expect, but it's when they don't work, and he doesn't try and then like adjust the tactic a bit. He just goes, "Oh no, that doesn't work." On to the next one, and I'm really worried that's what's going to happen with this one as well. Shall we talk about so- some things outside of the uh, Chelsea game then? Uh, one thing that caught. My attention this week, uh, Julian and Goy has joined Twitter. Yeah. Just a... Yeah. Um, it did feel like a, a bit like the scene from Alan Partridge where he, he walks into the room with all his pictures on the wall and they just got the <laughs> demented fan. Just like... <laughs> can, 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 can just imagine him just like clicking on that hashtag and just seeing the absolute <laughs> weird craziness of it all. Yeah, we've we've definitely been creepy. Yeah. I, th- I think it has gone too far. Um, in any other situation, like the amount of obsession with a teenager would get you sent <laughs> to prison. But here we just make stickers and he retweets us. So. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. a good week for him. He's He's been called up to the Belgian under-21 squad. Something else that caught my eye was uh, talking about Saido Barahino there. Do you see his um, Copper 90 video? I really like that. Play- yeah, it was just it was just so nice that um, just just to see him. I think he's done everything right so far in terms of trying to get us, uh, trying to endear the fans to him. Um, yeah, he just he just comes across really well, and I don't know back to up on the pitch yet. I mean, he, he's kind of struggled a bit, hasn't he, to to just get in any kind of position. Uh, Tom, a lot of people are saying that uh, we'll have to wait till next season to to see the best of him. Are, are you? Um, confident that he'll deliver the goods um, I, I hope he will and I think he has really done everything right so far and I think that might even be for himself more than anything else just to rebuild his own reputation after Pulis and Peace tried to just dismantle it um, yeah it's probably worth just giving him the starts even if he's struggling this season just give him the game time game fit and just on Ngoi it looks like that that period of time with the first teams really helped him because what is it now? Is it four in four for the under twenty yeah. threes? Yeah, he's scoring. He's scoring goals for them, and yeah, we've we've had this conversation about Ngoy before that uh, it's hard to like make a lasting impression on the first team in those five ten minute spells, but uh, that'll definitely it will help him as a player. But it's a lot harder to to make a game changing impact when you're that young going straight into the Premier League. Um, what did you make of uh, Chelsea yesterday without Hazard? Do you, are they the best side we've played this season? I don't know. I still think Spurs are the best side we've played this season. This season and last season. Kane is so good. Their midfield is so good. Yeah, yeah I think um, that for them it's just come it's come together a bit too late in the season. I think they they sort of struggled to find their way in like October, November, and that's probably why Chelsea have romped forward. But yeah, they're both really good football teams. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so any points before we 
uh, we go yesterday about uh, the game, anything that's caught your eye during the week, um, anything, any other points you want to raise? I was just going to say that based on that that Berahino Copa 90 interview, my theory is that like maybe the reason he hasn't just started firing right away is because of the music that Crouch is playing in the dressing room. <laughs> yes, um, yeah, yeah. And I worry that it's not getting them pumped up enough because Crouch is probably just playing like the Titanic soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, well, the the dressing room music appears to be an issue because uh, like Berahino was slagging off Crouch's taste, just saying, "Oh, I just listen to my own stuff because he plays um, film soundtracks." But I listened to Peter Crouch being interviewed by Graham Hunter in his podcast, saying how he, he plays all this kind of. Uh, rock music he's really into like oasis and kasabian and stuff ha, he um, be. yeah he's, he's he's a classic indie fan um and he's like he's like big mates with kasabian as well isn't he so uh i think we need a better unity in the dressing room with regards to music i think it would be actually much funnier just to like give him beulah the music for the, the the dressing room and you can just imagine him putting on some like <laughs> some french urban rap and crouch and walters and wheeling all just sat there <laughs> Just absolutely bemused. Just like they dug a wall down the center of the dressing room. (laughs) Trust you to bring up walls. Right, yeah. On that note then, uh, I think that's it from us this week. Uh, At the end of the episode, I have a chat with Mohamed Saif, the founder of Egyptian football website King Foot, about the reaction to Ramadan Sobi's burgeoning Stoke career over in Egypt. And after that, I speak to Michael McDonald from Inspired Film and Video in Stoke-on-Trent about their forthcoming documentary on Stoke Division 2 title-winning season in 1993. Also, we have a new website. It's been a long time coming, but we've finally got a nice new site for ourselves. Uh, All the links you need to listen to the podcast, subscribe, contact us or read our blogs can be found there. It's wizardsofdrivel.com, so please check it out and tell us what you think. Thank you very much for joining me, Zach. My pleasure. Thank you, Tom. Thanks. Right. Onwards and upwards. Go on, Stoke. I'm now joined by Mohamed Saif, who is the founder of Kingfoot. Uh, for our listeners who aren't familiar with Kingfoot, Mohamed, could you ex- explain mm-hmm. a bit about it? Yeah, uh, well, basically, it's, uh, it's, it's great to be on the show. Uh, obviously, you. Starting to be a Stoke City fan, kind of, <laughs> but, but definitely, no, definitely. Uh, the thing is, well, with Kingfoot, again, we started back in 2012. Um, I, used to, I used to work for Gold.com and, 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 and as a journalist uh, covering basically the English Premier League and all that stuff, and we wanted to get, me and my partners, uh, we wanted to get um, uh, this sort of platform up and running to cover both Egyptian and African um uh, football uh, and, and sports in general in the English language, obviously, and uh, in, a professional, in a professional matter. And uh, it all started back in 2012 uh, during the Port Said incidents, uh, the, 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 unfortunately, uh, uh, the stadium disaster back in Port Said. And we got together over on Twitter and we started, uh, we started Kingfoot as a website. And, uh, and it basically kicked off from there. And uh, we're now basically... Uh, the number one website covering Egyptian and African sports in English. Um, plus, we do lots of like basically sports consultancy work, social media management, uh, uh, running different pages and so forth for the for the different sports entities. Okay, nice one. And of course, uh, those of our listeners who are familiar with you, uh, familiar with you because mm-hmm. of everything that happened this summer around the signing of Ramadan Sobi. Um, yeah, I think I think. Most Stoke fans were massively overwhelmed by the uh, 
level of uh, comments on social media and just just the, the sheer volume of Egyptian fans going uh, crazy that we'd signed Sobi. Just how yeah. popular is he in Egypt? Oh, definitely. Um, he's definitely um, let's let's put it that way. Basically, the biggest talent coming out of Egypt um, after Mohammed Salah. So uh, he definitely is on that level for Mohammed Salah. He, he could even. I mean, I'm a big fan of Salah, but he could even uh, bypass him in terms of sheer talent and uh, how good he actually is. He made his debut in Al Ali. Al Ali Club is the biggest. It's, it's the African club of the century. It's the biggest club in Africa and the Middle East. And he made his debut there at the age, just as, just the age of 16. So basically, in 2014, uh, at just the age of 16, and he made his debut and. Uh, he went on to excel, played consistently later on during the, the upcoming couple of seasons. He uh, and he was he was just a shining star and uh, definitely definitely uh, the biggest talent coming out of Egypt uh, after Mohamed Salah currently. Yeah, um, when I tuned into the African Cup of mm. Nations uh, recently, I was I was slightly surprised that he wasn't perhaps more of a part of the first team in Egypt uh it does does the coach not see him as a first team player just yet or can you explain that yeah definitely well basically I mean I was surprised personally as well but again he's, he's he's only just turned 20 um and um and again, like 19, between the ages of 19 and 20 I mean that's you're you're still a young kid still developing obviously um he, uh, I mean, every every manager has his his own vision of starting players and so forth. Uh, my personal opinion is that he had a couple of issues with Ramadan Sophie, basically, um, because Ramadan expected to play uh, as a, I mean in the starting lineup, and he, he he was expecting to be a starter, but uh, but again that made some sort of like some sort of uh, let's say not a conflict, but but there was this some sort of mishap between the manager and the player. Um, he would have easily gone in, I mean, he should have played, obviously, in different games. Uh, if there wasn't this issue that, like, sort of, like, um, we, we call it, like, let's say, some sort of mini-conflict uh, between mm. manager and player, uh, I think he would have played more more games. But he did, at the, I mean, at the, eventually, in, like, in the semis and, and, and so forth, like, in the quarterfinals and the semifinals, he, uh, he, took, he, took, he took part in the different games. Uh, not as not as a starter, but definitely uh, coming on later on, and uh, and he he really did make a difference. I mean, because Ramadan Sopi as a player, uh, you can you can clearly see that he is he's on a different level uh, than than the other players playing it. I mean, even older than him, obviously, but he is on a different level. And the thing with Ramadan Sopi is that once he gets playing time, uh, his uh, performances they increase and they get they even get better uh, with with playing with with even better players so the more like let's say the better players he plays with or against uh the, the his 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 performances are even better they 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 are elevated um he does have a lot of i mean he does have a lot of confidence he his control over the ball his vision uh his shielding i think you guys saw that a lot he he shields the ball quite well uh he yeah. moves a lot with the ball yeah and and uh and he can only definitely get better as long as he gets the playing time. Uh, he's definitely gonna get better, definitely. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're there's been a, a tremendous surge in the uh, excitement for Sobby recently. Now he's had a bit more game time mm-hmm. and he's he's had a bit more opportunities to show what he can do for us. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, 
do you see Egyptians now taking more of an interest in Stoke as a whole? Are, are they becoming more of a to- topic of conversation because of Sobby? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, it was apparent once Sobey side for Stoke City. I mean, yeah, you can you can actually see the number of likes increasing on the social media pages for Stoke City, yeah. and accordingly, they made the ve- the very the very right decision to uh, to create the Arabic pages both on Facebook and and Twitter uh, to communicate with the Arabic speaking fans, and that 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 has made a huge difference uh, in in reaching out for. I mean, first of all, increasing the uh, fan base for Stoke City. So now you have a lot of people. I mean, obviously, uh, you have you have the likes of United, Manchester United, Liverpool's, and the Arsenal's, and the Chelsea's, and the Cities. But then again, you have this contingent of fans who are quite closely following the history of Stoke City. Uh, they're interested in how Stoke are performing, and they're following them week in, week out. And they're following that throughout the Arabic pages as well. Uh, they're interacting a lot. I mean, uh, when Mark Hughes, for example, uh, sent the, congr- uh, the the good luck message to Sobhi on the on the Arabic pages, and I think it was uh, it was published on the English pages as well, but especially on the Arabic pages, that got a lot of interaction. He got a lot of shares for the for the post. So people are quite obviously uh, quite interested in Stoke City, and they're they're interested more in learning about uh, the history and following following the results. And again, the more Sobhi plays. Uh, or, or Ramadona as, 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 as the nickname <laughs> basically a lot of people call him here uh, the more he the more he plays with with Stoke City the more interest from the fans for the club will increase obviously because uh, that's directly that's directly proportional together uh, so the more he plays the more he gets playing time the more he scores obviously uh, you'll have more people cheering on for Stoke City and interacting with the club yeah, perhaps we need to arrange a pre-season tour to Cairo. Definitely, uh, to... definitely, no, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I mean, besides besides actually playing with, let's say, for Al Ali, because that's his old club. Uh, you you'll get to see lots of uh, interesting sights and, and and stuff over here. Yeah. It's quite interesting. <laughs> um, so how, you mentioned uh, Mo Salah previously. How how does Sobi sort of compare with maybe other Egyptian players that we we might be? aware of who mm. might have come to England in the past do you reckon he could be be the best Egyptian the Premier League has ever seen oh, well he does definitely he has the potential to be so um it's all depends on the on the playing time that he gets it's great that he he actually um started off in Stoke City I think Mark Hughes is uh is a manager who who cares about the development of players. He knows when to inject him. I mean, I personally think he should have been introduced a bit earlier. Get it? I mean, he should have played more from the beginning. He actually, um, uh, he actually has that. Uh, let's say, um, um, uh, let, let's say, uh, capability to, to actually play a lot from the beginning. But again, he doesn't definitely has the potential to grow uh, to become. Definitely one of the best Egyptian players uh, playing. In the, I mean, we've had like we've had Mido playing with yeah. Spurs, so that's uh, so so that's. Uh, I mean, obviously he was a great player for Spurs, and um, um, he did he did quite achieve a lot. Um, but Ramadan Sofi, if he gets the playing time, he consistently plays uh, week in week out. Starts actually making a difference, like he is. I personally think he is starting to make a difference, and uh, I think. He'll only get better with time, with playing time, with the confidence, with confidence of playing with different players, uh, getting to know the players for Stoke City, uh, and and like I told you, the more he gets um, playing time on the ball and getting game time, the better he'll definitely become. So, 
he has all the aspects of being basically a, a Stoke legend if if Stoke can keep hold on to him if he actually does get the playing time. So it all, it's all dependent on that. Yeah, but definitely, um, yeah, he has the potential to to be so. And do you think it, it, with uh, more game time, he will uh, show the Premier League his standing on the ball trick? Um, let's let's hope he doesn't get kicked though. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, last time I mean it's, he's he's quite he's quite famous for that because last time it was an Ali versus Zamalek game, and when he did that standing trick on the ball, uh, the Zamalek players uh, had uh, had quite a. A fun time kicking him out, kicking him about <laughs> later on. So I'm not sure how well that would go with the English Premier League. He'll definitely get uh, a couple of uh, claps from the from the Stoke City fans, but I'm uh, I'm 100 sure uh, other rival fans won't won't be too ecstatic. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we're playing Chelsea this weekend, so you never know. He might just oh. do it there. Oh, but yeah. Um... yeah, yeah. Who knows? Well, let's let's hope Terry doesn't kick him <laughs> while he's doing it. <laughs> Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. No, definitely. He he has he has all that. He's 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 a great player. Uh, has great potential, and uh, he'll only get better with time. Definitely. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, Mohammed, thank you very much for talking to us. Uh, thank you very much, guys, and uh, good luck against Chelsea, and uh, all the best. And uh, hopefully, you guys will uh, maybe who knows maybe get to Europa League place, and that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> but definitely great. It was it was it was great being on the show, though. So definitely. Uh, good luck with that. Yeah, we can dream. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you guys. Insane. Great run. Oh, it's a magnificent goal. Again by Mark Steen. This man's magic. He scores goals that others simply dream of. I'm now joined by Michael McDonald from Inspired Film and Video. Michael, can you tell us a bit about the documentary? Uh yes. Um we're just in the early stages of production of a documentary which is provisionally titled uh, Macari's Red and White Army. And we're making it really as a celebration of um, the 92-93 league winning team. Um, not really just the football, but what it was like to be a fan then. Um, Pre-Premier League era, or the first year of the Premier League as it started then. Um but really a reminiscence about Stoke, the great team that we had, but also what the city was like then and what the atmosphere was like on the terraces. Now, you speak, you're currently speaking to someone who was born in 1993. Could I ask you what, what your memories of that time are? Yeah, I was 13 years old in um, the 92-93 season. And it was the first season, really, that I started to go to the game on my own with my friends as opposed to with my dad. So it was a really great time for me. And kind of there was a group of six or seven of us from school that always went to the game together. And, you know, I still go to the game with those lads mm. today. So it's kind of the, the first time that we all started going together. So regardless of what the football would have been like, I would have, I would have had a great time one way or the other, but obviously the football was pretty special too. Yeah. Um, I've just noticed it, uh, something you've put out on social media. You're, you're asking fans to get involved. Is that still the case? Yeah. We want people... This is kind of... The reason we've titled it Macari's Red and White Army is the film is not just about the team, but it's about the fans and what it was like to be a fan then so 
myself and my fellow director of Inspired, Dan, you know, we were two of the lads on the terrace together, 13. I'm sure there are some older people who have very different um, experiences um, who might have been enjoying themselves a little bit uh, more than ourselves, getting to the away games and alike, and and some stories of what it was like um, to follow Stoke in that, that glorious year, really. If, if people want to share their memories with you, where can they uh, get in touch with you? We're in the process of building um, a website, which will be macariesredandwhitearmy.com. Um, but if they want to get in touch with us now, they can send us an email uh, to hello at inspiredfilmandvideo.co.uk. And we're going to try and respond to everyone because... It's kind of not like it is now. It's not the the media circus that that football has become. And there is actually a very small amount of photographs and news clippings about about that season. So we want to tell it from a people's perspective. So we really want to get people, you know, getting involved in the project and coming to us with their stories and photos. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we'll encourage all our listeners to do that. And can you tell us a bit about Brew Macari? Yes, well, um, we thought kind of, we wanted to do something to go along with um, the documentary film. And, you know, what goes better with football and a film than beer? Um, we've always been quite keen to have a sideline in brewing. Um, so we decided to uh, brew a beer to complement the film. Um, we've done that in association with Limestone Brewery in Stone, who were ran by Viv and Brad, who are Stoke fans. So, you know, we've kept um, Stoke very much at the heart of it. And then the name Brew Macari came from a competition that we ran. Um, a little ironic, uh, given that Lou is teetotal, <laughs> but he is he is fine with the name. So that, that kind of uh, cleared it at that point. Um, but... It's a beer that we want Stoke supporters to drink because they like it as a beer. But also, sales of that beer, a percentage of the sale, is going towards the production of the film because making a film like this is quite an expensive piece of work. We're going to be running a crowdfunder scheme and doing pre-sales for it. But just to give you an idea, the the highlights footage, the, if we want to show footage from the game's themselves it comes in at 1500 pounds a minute to license that footage so we're trying to raise a substantial budget to make it a quality piece of material that is representative of the time and also that includes licensing music from the time which again there's quite a heavy cost involved so people really need to get drinking if they want to support this film yeah so get drinking brew macari everyone good luck with the film thanks very much david wizards of drivel podcast a place for the love of the game. What I love about football is just the, the random hugs that happen after goals with strangers in the crowd. A place for unadulterated emotion. The talk of the Tony Pierce child and then that, I'm going to be crying in the street in a second. A place for bold predictions. I put it public that I don't think Crouch is going to score a goal again for us in the league. A place for expert insight. I'm with Stan Collymore of all people. Stan, you watch a lot of football. And if all those areas were not covered... Pulis would go absolutely ape in the dressing room at us. And a place for hashtag deploy and goy. It's a big moment in his career. It's a, a big moment in his life, probably. I can't help but feel entirely <laughs> responsible for what just happened. 
the Wizards of Drivel podcast, a place for Stoke City. Now this is Trump's podcast. <laughs>